This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Grappler Zorn has a bad plan. Q's is better. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that is an ignorant, savage child podcast. My name is Gep, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And we're finally there. Last episode, we bored you all to tears with background details of Next Generation, and everyone's going, hey, do the stupid show already, and here we are. <laughs> we finally made it! Yes, the first episode. It's literally the comment I've gotten from every single friend since we started doing this show, is when are you doing my favorite Next Generation episode? All in due time, folks. Yeah. Well, it's not for a while, because nobody's favorite is in the first season, but, you know, we're, we're getting there. Uh, I mean, uh, Data is pretty good, but I don't think it's anyone's favorite, really. <laughs> and definitely no one's favorite is what we're doing today, which is the two-parter first episode second episode slash pilot uh called encounter at farpoint yes part one and two and it has about as much material as a single episode because it was supposed to be just fun yes <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just add some padding here it's fine so this one was written by the old star trek standby team of dc fontana and gene roddenberry who we've talked about ad nauseum mm-hmm so they're uh, still kicking ass at this point. Both of them back for the first season. Uh, by the, When we get on in the series, it's going to change things up. But but for first season of TNG, you still have a lot of the old writers and, and big influential people from original series still working on the new show. Indeed. And so some of the first couple seasons does do kind of feel like uh, TOS uh, sort of episodes and plots and things like that, for better or worse, uh, depending on the episode, of course. Um, but, uh, slowly as, uh, you know, various interactions happened off screen, uh, a number of folks kind of got fed up and just left. Mm. So, yeah, some of the stuff are literal, like redos of, of earlier concepts. Yes. <laughs> so like, we're going to get to some of those in not too long. This one, not exactly. It's, it's its own little thing. It's interesting. I mean, it's got some similarities to some, to some original series plots. Yeah, we do got a, uh, you know, ultimate god being showing up, which was kind of a uh, TOS staple. But he doesn't different. I think it's interesting. We'll get to that. But it's interesting to compare the uh, the change in conceptual, inter- the, the, the conceptual stuff that's, that's shown to you by the interactions that you're getting between, like, this god being and the earlier god beings and the way that the crew reacts to them. A lot of stuff gets changed and you can kind of do an interesting direct comparison between the way that Kirk and company would have interacted with this situation versus the way you're seeing the new crew do it. It's actually kind of a nice way to do this transition to put Mm -hmm. the new crew in a situation that you've seen the old crew interact with and to demonstrate the differences straight off because you're saying, like, this is a break from what you're familiar with in some significant ways. Yeah, so uh, you're familiar with the old crew, but this one's going to react a little bit differently. Because a new era of Trek, a new uh, set of characters, and, you know, things are not going to be the same. So, uh, you know, this is a, a wading into the pool to get used to a certain situation. And, of course, there was a bunch of behind-the-scenes drama. Um, we talked about a bunch of that in the last episode, how they didn't want to make this show in the first place. Everyone thought it was going <laughs> to fail. It almost did. Uh, this particular episode, they they kind of wrote the whole thing, had it had it going, had a kind of tight little mystery plot line going, and then someone went, "Hey, th- there's no action in this episode at all. Yes. <laughs> there's no action, literally no action." Yes, um, it's people standing around and going, "Hmm," at stuff. So uh, Gene Roddenberry went back and wrote in probably the single most memorable character in. Uh, TNG, the single most memorable, interesting, favorite, recurring character. Yes. <laughs> and uh, added a bit at the beginning that we're going to start with in a minute here, where the Enterprise has like a big fight scene, sort of sort of dramatic 
thingy where you show off a bunch of the ship and what it can do and all that stuff. Then, of course, the episode grinds to a complete stop and then basically restarts. But, yeah. It's like, well, we, we're changing plots here. We've got the other plot kind of idling in the background. But the main focus is this thing now. So uh, hold on, folks. Yeah. It's going to be easy, too. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a bunch of side characters in, uh, in all of TNG stuff. Uh, there's a lot more sort of uh, background characters, side, side stuff, other plots going on. So uh, I'm really going to have to focus down to do our synopses in any kind of decent amount of time. So we're only going yes. to deal with the two main guest stars that we have for this episode, mm-hmm. which uh, the first one um, is Colmini. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to have fun pulling side characters out, out whenever you feel like it. And, occasionally but i'll try to keep it reasonable <laughs> yes so uh, so uh who's our, who's our first guest here? so first appearing in this episode is john delance who people familiar with star trek are very familiar with as q the ultimate god being trickster yes. god q who uh is in a very judgy uh, uh mode this uh this week and uh john delance was pretty well known not not a big 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 name actor but a little more uh, around than some people who were on the main cast at this point because he's been in a lot of TV shows and movies um, and was pretty well known for appearing in Days of Our Lives for a decent stint. Yes. He won a couple of awards for that. Yeah, like over 500 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason to, you know, uh, you know day- daytime uh, you know, television like that, you know, has episodes titled episode 1.6140. Just because there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Don DeLance is going to show up quite a few times. He's the main reoccurring character, one of the fan favorites. Uh, envisioned almost like he, his character changes a little bit after the first season, but he's he's doing a good job. He really he yes. gives, he does a lot with what he's given, which in this episode really isn't a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, here's what the words on the page, but. Uh really sell it and he does so then the other main person that we have in this episode is michael bell who's playing zorn mm-hmm. groppler zorn yeah groppler i think is a title a job title yes they never really go into it but yeah <laughs> but yes groppler zorn the most important side character in all of star trek and most beloved uh uh, uh personality of uh perhaps any star trek ever so you know it's an important role he never shows up again, and everyone forgets he exists and thinks his name is Groppler. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Bell here, uh, you know, is in lots of other stuff as well, uh, you know, uh, including uh, My Little Pony and Friends. Yep. So and that's important. The Smurfs, G.I. <laughs> Joe. Voltron, Defender of the Universe. Yeah, any 80s cartoon. Uh, no, and... Uh, you know, Super Friends, uh, he was in MASH for an episode, so there's that, too. <laughs> <laughs> My personal favorite was uh, Quacker Jack from the Disney animated Darkwing Duck. Oh, yeah. I missed that one. <laughs> but yeah, he's uh, been in stuff since back in the 50s, actually. Uh, uh, but, um, you know, really t- picked up his uh, acting stuff in the 70s through, uh, I guess, kind of still, so... And while not a side character per se, the other main person that we have in this episode is uh, DeForest Kelly coming back for a nice little send-off side cameo as uh, (laughs) Admiral McCoy, head of Starfleet Medical. (laughs) So, uh, you know, uh, McCoy is uh, head of Starfleet Medical, and uh, the next uh, head of Starfleet Medical, uh, some pretty big shoes to fill, but... uh, Oddly, they're both uh, doctors from the Enterprise, huh? Hey, that's all the side people, and this is a two-parter, so we're gonna jump in, see Whee! how concise we can make this this thing. There's a lot of nothing happening, so maybe we won't do too bad. We'll see. Yes, <laughs> as I said, padding. So we meet Captain Picard, who is commanding the new Federation flagship, the absolutely massive Galaxy-class USS Enterprise D. It's huge and large, and like a mall. It is the biggest, most complicated thing Starfleet has ever, ever, ever built. And that's why it keeps breaking down throughout the series. Yeah, they have a line of that in one of the other episodes. (laughs) They are on their way to Farpoint Station, where their orders are to solve a mystery. Which is 
is delivered. I, I enjoy the cast. I, I enjoy <laughs> the cast even in this episode. But my God, that is the clunkiest exposition scene I have ever seen in my life. Yes. It's like, all right. So we're here. We're characters of Star Trek. Um, well, let's get in the mystery machine gang and solve a mystery. <laughs> Yeah, like, well, this is a difficult task. Difficult? They just ordered us to solve the mystery of Farpoint Station. What? <laughs> what is this line? Data, what's going on? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> anyway, they want to simultaneously figure out how this station was suddenly built by people who have very little technological know-how or resources in the perfect place for the Federation to use as a jumping-off point to explore the greater part of the unexplored galaxy. Oh, that is weirdly convenient. Could this be a trap? Is this a Romulan plot? Romulans haven't shown up yet. Maybe Ferengi. Oh. They mention the Ferengi a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the terrible and frightening. They have no idea what they're doing with the Ferengi, but... Yeah, yeah the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the ultimate foe of the next generation. So before they can go anywhere, though... Uh, Counselor Troy senses a powerful mind and a giant undulating wall thing just appears in space. Yeah, well, uh, that's something you don't see every day. They are boarded by an Elizabethan soldier with armor and everything who demands that they return to their own solar system. Go away, Tremelaine or Tremelaine? I forget his name. Trelane. Trelane, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) We've already had your episode. Go away. Now, this guy introduces himself as Q, a member of oh. the Q, and you can call him Q. Hmm. Oh, what about your friends? Oh, they're also called Q. It's going to get confusing. He freezes the helmsman just to show off and uh, then begins to run his way through human military history from a, a World War II-ish 50s-era general who goes on about communism to a padded, really bulky, futuristic, drug-controlled military uniform. Hmm. Now, that seems uh, really awkward to wear and put on. So the uh, the general gist is that Q believes humans are never going to change or evolve from their barbaric, savage, and dangerous roots, and so they should stop exploring the galaxy because they just are too bad at it, I guess. They're just going to come out here and fight everyone and wars and etc. All right, uh, all the humans off the ship, uh, Worf, you're in charge. The guard says, you can't judge us for our past. He goes, oh, judge, that's a good idea, and then disappears. Well, that's awkward and um, a little uh, unsettling. Uh, Let's get the heck out of here. Yeah, they decide to try an escape attempt where they go to maximum speed, which apparently could blow the ship up. Hmm. And uh, despite that, Q is able to outrun them very easily in his little space bubble. He has a space bubble in this episode. Yes, uh, it kind of looks like it's like filled with fire, sort of. Yeah. So to safeguard the civilian population of the ship, uh, Picard orders the emergency saucer separation, which is our big set-piece thing for the episode. The saucer section of the ship can just fly off, and then we get a really awkward-looking drive section of the ship. Yes. That, <laughs> I guess, is the battle portion. Even though... Every time they show the Enterprise-D fighting, all the weapons come from the saucer section. Well, except the photon torpedoes, or at least they're not supposed to come from the saucer section. But yeah, the, the main phasers are on the saucer section, so meh. The mm-hmm. uh, drive section technically does have some phaser bangs that you can see on like models and things like that, but I don't think they've been used other than like some really big special effects heavy episodes, so... Mm-hmm. So this is their big, like, set piece, oh my god, look what the ship can do thing. I think they use it three times, if you count the movies. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think that might, might bring it up to four, actually. Because <laughs> uh, there's this episode, uh, there's uh, the one episode with the planet with the uh, salesman uh, hologram guy. Uh, then there's the uh, uh, encounter with the uh, uh, best of both worlds adventures there. Uh, and then Star Trek Generations. All right, so it's four. Four times in total. Two of them in the first season when they're still really trying to show off that it exists. Yes, uh, if uh, anyone can remember any more, uh, let us know. So anyway, the saucer leaves with the civilians, and Card waits around in his armored battle bridge thing to confront Q. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Q's just too powerful to fight. They immediately surrender, 
and are transported to a weird anachronistic courtroom thing that they identify as a mid-21st century post-atomic age court called the post-atomic horror. So, uh, yeah, this to look forward to, I guess. But we'll I guess, be dead. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> Hooray, radiation! So Q enters, dressed in his iconic red judge robes. With his sort of crazy hat thing going on. and uh, Serving hash. future judge realness here. Yes. <laughs> Floating in on his, his chair. <laughs> the bridge crew is on trial for the crimes of humanity, apparently. Uh, Tasha yeah. is having none of it because she came from a planet with things like this court. And oh my god, she's frozen now. Well, this kind of sucks for Tasha. She's kind of pointing out like, you know, Federation folks and Earth and all that are pretty good and... Uh, she kind of has a, a horrible backstory, which we'll get into more later. But, uh, you know, this is kind of sucks for her because we don't have the uh, the sickbay to thaw her out. Yeah, so Picard demands they're treated fairly, like you said they were going to do, which includes not randomly killing them. So he thaws out Tasha and they're allowed to continue. Oh, that works. Now, what's an interesting part of the episode is Picard keeps denying, like, these aren't, these don't have to do with us. We didn't do any of these things. We didn't start wars. We're amazing and evolved and all this junk. Yeah. Eventually, he's just forced to admit, yeah, we're savage and barbarous and all this stuff, but we are learning and improving and changing. So see if we're still this. He goes, ooh, a test. That's fun. Yeah, That's fun. <laughs> Q likes his, likes his games. Yeah, and Well, this is very of kind of uh, Kirk-ish sort of uh, argument he's making because, you know, Kirk's always like, we might be barbarians, but we're not going to kill today. So, ha. <laughs> Well, what's interesting is he starts out going, this is all in the past. We're evolved and civilized and all this junk. Yes. And Q is kind of going like, well, you still have to deal with this. This is your history. Yeah. So, you know, you got, somebody's got to account for this. It's like, it doesn't matter if you personally didn't do any of this stuff. Your ancestors did. Your forebears did. Your civilization did. Everything that got you to this point is this. Mm -hmm. So, what do you say? <laughs> So Q says that their Farpoint mission will be more of a test than they could possibly imagine. Returns to the bridge where no one even seems to realize what's going on anymore. I'm just like, yeah, cool. We're back. Heading off to Farpoint. Saucer section's gone. Not sure why. Can't really remember. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's okay, uh, you know, not Chief O'Brien. Uh, we'll go pick him up later. So finished with the excitement, we now move on to Farpoint, which is an advanced city-like station that is on an otherwise completely unadvanced world, like terracotta buildings. Yes, uh, so uh, it's it's also like a mall, like the Enterprise, uh, but they actually sell stuff in this one. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so here we see Commander Riker, who's waiting to join the Enterprise crew as first officer. And his baby face. Yeah, no beard yet. Baby face Riker. But like a true Starfleet officer, he's poking around for information, like how they built an advanced station up to federation standards perfect for human needs just overnight yeah it's kind of weird uh do you guys like have replicators some sort of resources we're not aware of anything to explain this nope maybe nothing at all <laughs> nothing at all there's also a few other crew members here like the ship's doctor beverly crusher her son wesley and Jordy shows up for a hot minute but he doesn't really do anything yet i exist says Jordy. Riker tries to recruit Dr. Crusher into looking around with strange stuff, and she's like, you're making up things. And then suddenly, <laughs> the fabric that she's looking at magically changes colors. Like, maybe you're onto something. Hmm. Of course, though, uh, in the future, we wouldn't expect there to be uh, color-changing fabrics. Uh, that would be impossible. Yeah. <laughs> but this place magically has everything you ask for. Not like the ship, where it can magically produce anything you ask for. Yes. It's like, oh, we just have a station-wide replicator. Cool. <laughs> the ship does arrive eventually before they have time to look into too much, and Riker beams up to half the Enterprise. Hmm. So, uh, Captain, you seem to be missing part of the ship. Uh, did everything go okay? Yeah, he watches a clip show to get up to speed, which yes. we also have to watch for some reason. <laughs> well, I do have to say that uh, for uh, the uh, Enterprise's uh, clip show production uh, values, they seem to be pretty much on par with the actual show, so meh. Mm. And then Picard has Riker tested by performing a manual redocking to the saucer section, which he does fine. Everyone's yes, uh, impressed. 
though uh, the um, uh, the velocity equals zero stuff was confusing me because that means they would have stopped and the uh, saucer section would have just hung out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't know how things in space work. Yes. Maybe there's some orbital mechanics going on here that didn't quite explain or mention. So anyway. <laughs> so Picard and Riker have a get-to-know-you where uh, Picard tells his character quirk of not liking children. This is going to be a thing. His greatest enemy. And later in Sick Bay, we get a rundown to Geordi's visor, which lets him see in the electromagnetic spectrum, even though he was born blind. So uh, we got him with a superpower. Yeah. It's nice. He's got a he's got a definite thing that does impact his life, and it's shown impacting his life, and he needs a special prosthesis in order to be able to see, but... You know, he functions normally. He can see better than most people in a different way, and it doesn't seem to really affect his ability to do stuff most of the time. Yeah. Uh, though there are some weird continuity quirks later that, uh, like, wait, uh, we've learned in the one episode he could see auras around androids, but he didn't spot that this person was an android. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, because, I don't know, it would be rude, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> he just doesn't pay attention to some things. <laughs> And finally, Data's escorting Admiral McCoy to a shuttlecraft. So they talk about the Enterprise and how great of a ship name it is. And this is the end of the episode that's in the middle of the episode for some reason. Yes. Well, uh, McCoy, it's been a wild ride, but uh, this is uh, sort of your last chronological uh, moment here. Uh, yeah. Good luck in retirement. I mean, it's nice. It's a really nice send-off, but my God, it should be at the end. Yes. <laughs> Well, they have to get you have to get rid of the uh, the the hood, so uh, you know, have to send them off at this point. <laughs> so Q shows up again because uh, they're wasting time. They they need to figure out the thing, so he gives them a twenty four hour deadline. Enough character introductions, you know, get to it. We have a plot to solve. They poke around a bit. In addition to all the magical happenings, the base itself is constructed to Federation standards, despite the planet not having access to much raw materials but they do have excess power so Riker believes maybe they're trading their excess power for the materials they need to build stuff because i guess they could so i guess they make batteries locally or they could you know have a replicator but i guess not <laughs> so Riker and picard go down to investigate along with counselor troy which is the chance to introduce that Riker and troy knew each other in a very awkward kind of way yes yeah, so uh Riker, can you read my brain because I'm uh, sending you messages now, my Imzadi. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they can telepathically communicate sometimes. Sometimes. And, and mostly in this episode. <laughs> so they meet with the head of the city, Groppler Zorn. He's evasive, but more sort of usefully, Troy senses pain and despair coming from everywhere, basically. Not Zorn. So not Zorn... Wait, is he abusing the bandy people that he's supposed to be in charge of? Is he some sort of horrible dictator? Maybe. No one knows yet. He's definitely angry that they're investigating, which does suggest that they, you know, are hiding something. Yes. <laughs> Stop asking questions. I, I just want to give you a thing and have some Starfleet people here. For reasons. We then again stop looking into this plot and switch back to the ship where Riker checks out the holodeck, where we explain how holodecks function, mm -hmm. which is that they make stuff for you to interact with so that they can film basically whatever they want they're just giving themselves a narrative excuse to do whatever later on yes uh, we want to do a period piece later uh so uh, either we have to go to a planet of uh cowboys again or uh we do this and uh this might make more sense so <laughs> he also meets up with data where they talk about his mechanical nature and how he's basically wants to be human pinocchio stuff etc and everybody loves robots yeah, he and Riker have a kind of a fun dynamic in this episode that doesn't carry on. They stop being super best friends. But also, <laughs> interestingly, knowing the future of the series and the friendship dynamics, Jordy and Data don't have a single scene together in this episode. <laughs> well, uh, Jordy's busy uh, doing uh, bridge stuff at this point, and yeah. uh, Data's also on the bridge. Hmm, wait a moment. No, <laughs> we'll talk about some more of the weird character stuff, because they, they don't have it figured out yet, obviously, yes. it's the pilot. <laughs> So they return to the planet. Tasha, Jordy, and Troy go to underground tunnels beneath the city. They're completely different than anything else they've seen, and when Troy opens her mind, she's overwhelmed with pain and despair to the point that Riker has to beam down to get them. Hmm. Well, uh, these tunnels do kind of feel, give me a, like an alien's vibe, so uh, 
So we might be having half the crew uh, suddenly being killed off one by one. So just FYI, guys. Uh, meanwhile, we get a moment with Picard and Wesley, whose father was Picard's best friend before he died. Uh, his problems with children take over, though, and he kicks Wesley off the bridge for noticing an alert correctly. Yes. <laughs> well, he told him not to touch anything, and then he touches something. He's like, oh, you broke my only rule, kid. Get out of here. Uh, we're starting to get a little bit of the super kid dynamic that we're going to have later on through through the series. You know, it's not, it's not awful. I've rewatched this series half a dozen times at this point, and Wesley bothers me less every time. Yeah, it's it's sort of I guess part of the the set dressing in a certain degree that he sometimes is more knowledgeable than everyone else just suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> On the scale of annoying 80s 90s teenage boy inserts in otherwise not teenage boy shows, Wesley is so far and away the least annoying. Yes. <laughs> So, finally, something happens. A giant unknown flying saucer thing is approaching the planet. Hmm. Wait a moment. Maybe, maybe this isn't aliens. Maybe it's V. It does look a bit V-ish. <laughs> as soon as it enters orbit, it scans the Enterprise and begins to fire on the worker settlement around Farpoint Station. But not the station itself. And interestingly, they go, It's firing! Oh, armed weapons, wait! It's not firing at the station... Just the civilian population around the station. Like, oh, that's okay then. Well, maybe there's like a weird prime directive exception here. It's like, we're technically in negotiations with these people for some stuff here. Uh, and so what we'd be negotiating over is technically something we'd have to protect uh, until the negotiations are over. But them and their own city? Nah, we don't have to care. They kind of mentioned the Prime Directive at one point, yeah, but then it's just like, they're firing. Oh, not the station, though. Don't worry, yeah. it's fine. They're killing other people. Yeah. Well, maybe it's because the middle of the day, they, everyone's supposed to be in the Farpoint station right now, so me? They're just maybe. getting their homes exploded. <laughs> also, the away team, which is still in the tunnels, has lost communication because whatever's in the tunnels is preventing them from communicating. So they leave the tunnels and empty into the city that's being fired upon oh this is kind of annoying uh you might die suddenly uh due to orbital bombardment uh, good knowing everybody so since riker's already on the planet picard orders him to kidnap zorn as you do they do arrive in zorn's office and he's very agitated and doesn't like what's happening but he's immediately beamed away by something else before they can ask him anything dang it q this isn't the time for games they get the away team back up lock phasers on the other ship as a defensive option and Q shows up and goes, ah, you're going to shoot them. I knew you were going to shoot them, violent mm -hmm. humans. So I might as well just judge you as guilty right now, huh? But they can't do anything. They can't even move the ship. Q's preventing them from doing anything. Because mm. he's also trying to nudge them a little. He's like, you haven't solved the mystery. Ha ha. Tell them to go over there and investigate. Go look over there. I'm not helping. Yes. Uh, it's like, well, he might have been kind of impressed that they've kind of actually been dragging their feet and but still investigating this whole time. It's like they're maybe they're feeling the uh, the pressure of this time limit thing. Maybe I should give them a bone. So Riker leads the away team over to the other ship where they find tunnels exactly like what they found under Farpoint. Here, Troy feels hatred and anger towards the builders. And also they find Zorn being tortured in energy field. Huh. Well, I guess uh and, you know, we pissed off whoever's in charge here. So Troy realizes that all this anger and pain and other stuff she's been feeling is only from one thing. Not like, you know, a ship crew. Yeah. Wait, the pieces, they're coming together. And as they free Zorn from his torture prison, the ship begins to glow. Q appears again on the Enterprise and goes, Okay, shoot it now. Save your crew. Oh my god. But <laughs> they're returned by the ship. The other ship just beams <laughs> them back. Picard's like, ah, uh, what's up? Uh, and they're like, no, Q didn't bring us over, so you don't have to, you know, go with whatever deal you just made with him. So Q keeps trying to goad them into attacking, but Picard's figured it out now. And uh, he asks Zorn what's going on. He reveals that they helped a creature. A creature, just like the one that's attacking them, that can yes. turn energy into matter. So they beam some energy down to Farpoint and let it eat all it can, and it transforms away from a city into being a giant space jellyfish. Hmm. And now we have two giant space jellyfish kind of hanging out and uh, touching tentacles. The other ship turns into a jellyfish. They're blue and pink jellyfish, and they 
hold hands and fly away. Well, that was kind of lewd, but neat. Q is possibly disappointed they solved his puzzle, but he also definitely wanted them to and helped them do it. <laughs> Q's interesting in this episode. Yes. Now, now I'll talk about it much more later, but I do have a sort of fan theory about Q, especially in uh, some key episodes here. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for later. But, you know, Q did agree to let them go on their merry way. So he leaves and the ship heads off for the great unknown. Hooray! Uh, let's go explore that final frontier, finally. So yeah, this is an odd... This is interesting with the... I think the Q dynamic in this is really interesting. Because like I said, you can kind of compare a little bit with how the crews handled things. Because every... Like, Kirk's run into a couple of god entities like this. Yes. And it's always very antagonistic. Yeah, the god entity wants to, like, mess with them or keep them or force them to do something and he's just like no we're not gonna do it and it doesn't turn antagonistic at any point they go you know what this guy's too strong to fight and we're just gonna have to deal with it and see how it turns out instead of the kirk approach which is nothing is too strong to fight we just need to figure out how they're doing this thing and then take it out yes uh, but uh this time we don't have a you know a greeks uh, building we can shoot or a mirror we can have them uh you know break or something like that you know just this guy's pretty dang powerful and uh he's just totally beyond us so we can't haven yeah q's mom doesn't show up yes (laughs) and uh so it's sort of like well what are our options none Hmm. well i guess we just gotta surrender all right (laughs) so i think the the whole god entity thing is kind of an interesting way to start because yeah there's been a ton of comparisons to chelaine and He's kind of similar. He never comes across as that cruel. Indeed. He tortures people for fun, but not in a way where he's ever going to actually let someone die. Yeah, it's I'm going to sort of push people around and make it seem like everyone's doomed or going to die, but no one actually expires here. So it's kind of all fun and games to a certain degree. There's only one episode in the next season, I think, where Q ever lets someone get killed. And that's a completely different point. It actually ties into his character in this season quite well, in a weird way. Indeed. We'll get to that when it kind yeah, of comes we'll up. We'll get to yeah. that later. <laughs> I think what's interesting is I, I haven't quite noticed, really, um, the first couple times I watched this episode. But I think the more and more we talk about this stuff now, I'm viewing it through a little bit of a different lens, watching it at the moment with all the stuff that we're talking about in the u.s like this year and last year largely having to do with the historical context of the united states which you can really view any federation ship in these shows as just a stand-in for the united states basically almost straight up so uh you know if we're going to be uh looking at the totality of that history then we got to also include the history of the united states then a lot of q's arc in this episode is you need to deal with your own past Mm -hmm. because he shows up and goes, you guys are violent and savage as a species. Your history shows me this. And Picard keeps going, no, we're not until eventually he's basically forced to admit, yeah, this was our history. It is something that we shouldn't and can't ignore. And by doing so, we are going to just keep repeating the same mistakes. But because we're willing to look at it, learn from it, and admit it, we don't have to, and we actually can improve. Indeed. Yeah, knowing that past uh, lets us avoid repeating it. And I think that's, it's an interesting one on the message side. I really like that message. Mm-hmm. Don't ignore the bad parts of your history, because the more you try to just ignore them and get rid of them, you become, you become shameful of them. It's it's kind of an interesting dynamic. Like the the more you try to push away the parts of your history that you're uncomfortable with, the more it just turns into this weird kind of shame. And then the more you want to push away and punish anything and anyone that's associated with that shame. Indeed. So it goes from well, we just don't want to talk about this to we're going to punish you for bringing it up to we're just going to punish you because you might bring it up. And even not just bringing it up, like some theories around like racism in the United States have to do with the idea that just the existence of people in the U.S. is a constant reminder of our violent history that we're trying to sweep under the rug. 
Indeed. Just just the fact that people exist or the fact of certain kinds of, of class and racial inequalities demonstrate the way that we help dealt with things in the past. And so that, that last one, uh, you know, becomes then we're going to punish you because your race suggests that, you know, we have to remember this in some fashion. So we're going to punish you because of that. Yeah, we will punish you for existing because your very existence reminds us of the fact that our society has done terrible things to you and people like you. So uh, because I feel upset, I'm going to do horrible things to you. And because we refuse to deal with our past and history, this keeps coming up again and again and again. And I think in a weird way, in a weird roundabout way, the episode is demonstrating this in and of itself by the things that they had to do to undermine their own message for public consumption. Because <laughs> the entire episode is about, or not the entire episode, but Q's section of the episode, the Q Picard arc of the episode, is about having to come to terms with your own violent past and the horrible things that have gotten you as a society to the point that you're at now. Whether or not you feel you've improved as a people, like you still have to deal with the fact that this is something that your people and society went through before. It's something that you did. Your ancestors did this. The way your ancestors dealt with it advantaged or disadvantaged certain populations based on their actions in the past, and you have to deal with that now. Yes, because you know, if not now, when? They mentioned two things. They mentioned the fact that humans go to war sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned this completely made-up future courtroom thing. Yes. Those are the crimes that are listed as humanity having done in this episode. Yeah, there's, uh, of course, much more out there, but these are the ones that we talk about here. Well, what's interesting is they, they, they show military history and go, war is bad. War is just an, an unexcusably bad. Which, you could have some nuance in there, but most people can agree, like, killing each other on mass for territorial disputes and things generally bad yes it's, it's something to avoid if possible but then the other thing is they made up a future time in which an oppressive regime was doling out unfair punishments and had a corrupt justice system that's basically the other crime we're seeing is an overly corrupt justice system that's obviously doling out unfair punishments for the amusement of people yes uh justice is a form of entertainment as opposed to well justice and you don't have to make that up that is something that's definitely happened throughout various parts of human history indeed um gov this kind of corruption has happened even if you completely restrict yourself to the history of you know europe and the general west as we think of it you could definitely find examples of this from that history, and you could put that in without having to worry about, you know, calling out another culture or something. You'd still be talking about your own. Yes. Uh, you don't want to, because you don't want to actually look at your own history. Mm -hmm. You want to make up one. Yes, we, we need a sci-fi stand-in so that we don't actually step on any toes here. Any toes, even our own, because that mm -hmm. would make us uncomfortable. Because you're not going to bring up slavery you're not going to bring up racial inequality which is even something that 60s era star trek tried to deal with mm -hmm. i think the amount that they were successful and unsuccessful varied greatly and there's a lot of nuanced debate to have around it that i as the palest dude in the room am not equipped to have very well but they tried indeed this is completely ignoring our history of racism our history of class oppression, our uh, systems of society that disadvantage some people and advantage others to the point of absurdity and death, we made up a thing. We have to make up a new atrocity that will happen sometime in our future, ambiguous human future, that we can then say we have overcome instead of any of the innumerable things that we could talk about that are or have actually happened that we can say that we've overcome because in theory they have overcome all of those things as well 
but we can't mention them without the audience possibly feeling bad, because then you had to think about all the horrible stuff that we actually did do. So by ambiguizing it to this point, you're kind of both undermining the message that you're trying to have, but also pointing out the fact that it exists because you had to do this to sanitize it for television yes. <laughs> so that nobody had to think about our own history, which is the very thing that you're trying to critique people for not doing. Yes. <laughs> so it's a kind of a double reverse uh, backflip to uh, that emphasizes the point. Um yeah, because uh, unlike what folks, some folks would like to claim that you know racism ended in 1965 and then everyone was forgiven forever, uh, the, the real world's not that simple or magical. So yeah, and then of course they, you know, I guess the main thing that they're showing that they've changed is they're not going to solve every situation violently. Indeed, you know we're a lot more chill here. You know we'll. Uh, got phasers but we're not going to use them unless we have to sort of thing you know and even then we're going to just kind of you know in this case tweak them a little bit to uh, send an energy beam as opposed to a death beam but even not solving the situation violently we're not going to talk about why the federation gets to have all of the money and resources and whatever it is they have in the future that these people don't and had to enslave an alien to get a piece of indeed this planet that's you know not a federation member sure but is uh you know definitely kind of uh you know known to them and just kind of well we're, we we're poor and we don't got anything but uh, maybe we can bribe the federation to uh supporting us sort of thing we're not going to go into the you know what would have happened if they hadn't done this if these people hadn't enslaved this alien and captured the energy being in order to make it build a federation outpost for them would the federation have ever come here would they be on the map at all yeah <laughs> they they imply that the federation is now going to build an actual star base here but um they don't really go into that anyway would they have otherwise that's a good question uh, probably not they might have gone to some place where, you know, they didn't have to do deal with any neighbors, but I guess they have a working relationship now. So it's like, eh, might as well. So you really could go deeper on this, which is something that you can criticize this era of Star Trek for constantly. Yeah, just bringing up something, but not so really going to as, uh, as much depth and, uh, you know, solution options as possible. Well, it really does boil down to the political leaning of the time that we're still dealing with a bit now, but it was definitely very present in the late 80s, early 90s era mm -hmm. of this liberal individualism, not liberal as in leftist, but liberal as the, the political, you know, neoliberal individualism of thinking systems function and not critiquing them. Because the system functions, we never, we we never in episodes like this get an examination or critique of the systems at play. Mm -hmm. We don't have to look at why the people on this planet thought that this action was necessary. What drove them to do this? Why they thought the best option that they had was to capture an apparently sentient creature and force it into doing things for them to gain the attention of the Federation, which is the entity with all of the power and resources in this, in this scenario. We don't yeah. look at why they thought that was a good option or what their circumstances were like before that made it a good option. We simply look at the fact that they did it, go, that was wrong, and now we are magnanimously here to fix it. Indeed, and uh, Groppler Zorn is sort of the stand-in for everyone that was involved in this uh, project here. And so he, the individual, is the one who gets punished, and the alien does that. Yeah, the alien kidnaps the one dude and punishes him. There's some talk of how the society around the builders and people were fired on, and there's casualties, and we have one scene of Dr. Crusher organizing a medical team to go down and help, which I guess is their humanitarian aid portion. This is why it matters that we just sat here and let them shoot people. And didn't even think about protecting the city until later when Q literally stopped us from doing so. So, uh, we'll, uh, we'll heal them later. Uh, we, we just can't intervene directly, I guess. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of a big critique that you get, especially from newer viewers of 
of this Star Trek era is, yes, they are giving some interesting messages. Yes, it is a well-written show generally. Like, even this, widely regarded as one of the weaker episodes of the weaker season, mm-hmm. it's good TV. Yeah. Well, it's enjoyable to watch. Yeah, there's some good stuff going on here, and, uh, you know, it doesn't, like, bug you or anything like that, so that's good. <laughs> is it amazing? No. Would this be a pretty good episode of almost any other show from this era? Yeah. <laughs> The frustrating thing is you know this show gets so much better than this later. So it's all like, there's potential here, but I I need more because I've seen later episodes, guys. (laughs) But you aren't discussing it. This is not not one of their fun time romp episodes. This isn't the we're going to have fun in the holodeck episode. This is supposed to be a, we are solving a mystery. We're looking into the implications of this thing. We're trying to balance looking into this this fraught political situation while trying to negotiate with these people mm-hmm. none of it's really handled in a nuanced or examinatory way it's just plopped on the table there indeed though i guess i could make an argument that the crew being kind of new to working with each other sort of demands a certain amount of awkwardness but even still it is kind of goes beyond that well there's a difference between the awkwardness because i do enjoy that People yes. constantly complain about TNG not having character development, but look at how awkward everyone is around each other now. <laughs> like, they yes. don't get along well. They don't know what to make of each other. They they don't have working together down quite yet, which makes sense because it's a completely new crew. Most of them hasn't, haven't even melt, met each other before today. And uh, those who have have kind of complicated relationships. Like, Troy and uh, Riker is like, well, uh, we, we used to date. Uh, we don't anymore. Um yeah, um, and uh, Beverly and Picard, well, you kind of brought my husband home, in well, his body at least. Uh, that was kind of awkward. Uh, are you going to be okay here? Uh, sure, yeah. Now, there's a difference between showing the like new working relationship and not discussing any of the implications of what you're doing at all. Yes. <laughs> Maybe on their old ships they didn't. Maybe that's why this is the Enterprise. They actually eventually learned that maybe we should think about our actions. I, mean, I think they do more and more of that as we go through the first season. Yes. <laughs> so overall, you know, they, they didn't dig enough into this to do anything but undermine their own point to a certain extent. Yes. In a weird and very of-the-time sort of way, I guess. So, uh, Gepwin, uh, I have a question of, of sorts for you. Uh, what sort of court is that? That we see oh, with a Q right I don't know there. law things. I don't know law things as well. Is it it's like a, a Judge Dredd style court? <laughs> is it a civil court or a common law court? Hmm. Or civil law know. court, sorry. I'm not sure. It seems like there's some sort of state authority overseeing this thing. But uh that's that's why I'm being kind of tricksy with these with these uh terms here. And uh it actually took me a while to sort of sort them out myself. Uh but there is a difference between a civil law court and a common law court that isn't what sort of like this is a civil matter sort of court but a civil court actually is a a based on a a certain sort of system of court like the in the united states we have a common law court where it's very adversarial where you have a judge who stands uh as a sort of arbiter of the of the rules of the court but is not directly involved there and is supposed to be impartial and the jury is going to decide the outcome again in an impartial fashion with the prosecutor and defense uh, playing you know, off each other uh, to try to uh, push the argument about their position. Uh, but uh, a civil court is a more inquisitive sort of uh, court where you know it's like, okay, so we got the judge or panel of judges here and we are going to be active in the sort of interrogation of the uh, facts and uh, situations here in order to come to a conclusion about about things here, which very much seems that more in the mold of what uh, Q is doing here, uh, because there's no uh, prosecutor, there's no jury, uh, unless you sort of assume, you know, his one statement about judge, jury, and executioner is, uh, you know, being a weird, uh, you know, specific, uh, recasting of the common law court but yeah what he's is is very much more the civil law court now 
you know, some people might be asking, it's like, we keep saying civil law, but this isn't like a tort case. This is not someone suing someone. Of course, it's not. Civil law, law in this case, uh, is uh, uh, talks about the basis of the law system, uh, which the civil law uh, sort of uh, court systems are present in uh, countries that uh, have a Roman or French uh, law, uh, Napoleonic law codes. Uh, that it's basically a different sort of tradition. Uh, so it's sort of a, the background is, you know, just different than what folks in the United States are used to. Now, folks in, you know, countries like these, it's like, yeah, they've seen plenty of the United States uh, system and the common law sort of stuff there. But, you know, the system they actually live under is, uh, uh, you know, a different sort of way of, of going about how they run, uh, organize the court there. Uh, and so you get a, a situation that, in, you know, for a U.S. viewer, this seems like an outrageous thing, but someone say from uh, France or uh, oh, uh, Nigeria or Uruguay might be like, oh no, uh, this is a little differently here. Here, actually, I'm not sure about those specific countries. <laughs> uh, Uruguay might be common law. I forget. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is like a little more familiar. But you know, in terms of TV courts, this is outrageous. Um, but another sort of interesting thing about these uh, civil law courts uh, systems is that they do j tend to be uh, guilty until proven innocent. You know, the, you know, the, the, they still have to go through the whole process in order to prove that case, of course, but there is a different sort of framing of how things are going at that point. Uh, that is uh, not quite being applied here. Other than, you know, say yourselves are guilty until we, uh, you know, or we'll shoot you here uh, sort of moment there. Um, but, uh, you know, the, it is kind of interesting sort of looking at it from this frame that, you know, this is a way that the court has talked about and uh, presented is very American. But the underlying system is, you know, of a very, you know, present in elsewhere in the world sort of systems there. And uh and yeah, so uh, also, that's kind of how some of the courts work in some parts of the world here. So uh, just FYI, though, what tend, tend, what tend to be with less machines guns, though. It's another one of those, it's another one of those interesting places where they definitely have just taken something that's non-default from the American perspective. And they didn't, again, they didn't go into much. They don't go into how this system functions. You can see that it's a corrupt system because the judge is mean to them. And yes. has complete power of life and death and things that we can't tolerate in a functioning legal system. But they don't mm -hmm. go into how the system is supposed to function. Is this one that could function well in a place where someone knowledgeable is supposed to be able to come to what actually occurred in the matter at hand and render a judgment from that information? Which in some ways could be better than some of the stuff we do in our law-based court system where... You, if there's a small clerical error in your paperwork, you're free just because that's how it functions. Yeah. They, they, you could make an argument that there could be better systems, but because this is just presented as this is a courtroom with no jury, and we as Americans go, well, a courtroom with a jury is the fundamental to all law across the world. Therefore, this is bad. Indeed. Yeah, this is without even getting into some uh, more specific sort of... Uh law systems there like religious courts as well uh which are you know vary by religion which of course like this is just another place where and sci-fi does this a lot they just say here's something that's recognizably non-american mm -hmm. therefore bad it's alien <laughs> it's bad and alien <laughs> even though as you pointed out this is a way that law does function in other parts of the world in fact there's a line in there where he says uh this is when you agreed with the line from Shakespeare, kill all the lawyers. And he says it was done as if the entire world had one unified court system, which I guess they did at this time period because they mentioned United Earth. Yes. But they're, they are kind of ignoring different cultures, different ways of doing things. Anything that's recognizably non-American, even the fact that you make this, this implicit assumption that the new UN and the United Earth would be based completely on American politics, the way that mm -hmm. it seems to be presented. 
So again, yeah, like you point out, it's another place where they're not examining the systems at play. They're simply presenting you with, here is a corrupt courtroom in a recognizably non-American style court, which makes it bad. Indeed. It's something you do not recognize, but do recognize at the same time, but different. So fear it. I'd be a, be a, be concerned for our, our characters here. Uh, there is maybe another court, though, this might resemble in some ways, but uh, that's more because it's this, the, the, the sort of charges that are being pushed forward here. Uh, so are you familiar with the International Criminal Court? Oh, vaguely. <laughs> so uh, it's a court that was a, it's a permanent tribunal. Uh, so, you know, again, sort of expert sort of situation here uh, of judges uh, who are due to, who are assembled to prosecute folks uh, uh, and, you know, other things uh, for genocide, crimes against humanity, uh, that sort of thing. And as well as normally crimes of aggression, but that can't functionally happen under the current system or things. It's not, I didn't uh, delve too much into that, but just, you know, one of those sort of like, this is technically on the list, but we don't know how to do it sort of things. Uh, it's a court that has uh, been signed on to by numerous countries uh, around the world, but not all of them. So, you know, the United States is, you know, it's sort of associated, but, uh, uh, but not a part, not a, an actual member of it uh, sort of thing. So, you know, it's like, we are curious, but we're not going to actually be subject to this. So, ha, uh, and so, but, but it's a, a body that was assembled that maybe we should, I don't know, make sure that people that are committing genocide actually see some, some consequences for their actions as opposed to living in retirement, dying of old age, uh, you know, like guys like Paul Pot or something like that. Uh, and it's sort of like a, and so it, it's, it's something that is very much a, this is a, uh, court assembled to, you know, address things that are bigger than an individual's, uh, you know, general conduct. Someone might be, you know, you know, uh, you know, you know charged under the laws of their country, uh, for, you know, you know, uh, uh, corruption or whatever, while they were, uh, the, uh, the, the dictator, you know, you know, ethnically cleansing their people or something like that. But, you know, their country's not going to be able to easily charge them, uh, you know, because when you're in charge of the country, you tend to make the laws so that you can basically do what you want. Uh, and so, you know, the dictator of the country is not going to be, you know, in the uh, long run, uh, subject to the, you know, you know, uh, the laws, uh, unless they get unlucky. And usually then there's very swift justice, uh, in a very, you know, perhaps unjust sort of a, a court. Uh, there is, a. You know, and so you got this body that's sort of like, well, this is going to be going beyond the laws of these countries in order to make sure that there is still some, you know, some uh, addressing of this sort of thing. Uh, so it doesn't just kind of get, well, you're not in power anymore. That's good enough sort of situation. Oh, you're saying it's a lot like an international legal court that deals with giant, like, war crime crimes against humanity style things because that's essentially what they're being accused of is you've yep. committed well so many crimes against humanity humanity should be should stop interacting with other people yes you, you need to go uh, sit in your uh, corner and never bother anyone ever uh, we're uh, giving you an infinite life sentence it's kind of an interesting one on that side like we're gonna we are definitely going to get into more q stuff later mm -hmm. but from what we're seeing in this episode he isn't trying to keep humanity away He's trying to actually help them improve enough that it'd be okay if they kept going. Yeah, this is a very much a test, but it's a test that is, this is something that I believe you can actually overcome. Uh, so don't disappoint me sort of thing. But if I act like I'm of that sort of perspective, you know, it's, yeah, then it's not going to fly me with my bosses. So, but still. Come on, guys. Because <laughs> he definitely does keep helping them. Mm -hmm. He keeps helping them and helping them, which is not something of, I don't want you to succeed. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes his help is uh, awkward and frustrating. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the, uh, I'll, I'll still get into some of my ideas about Q uh, 
uh, as we sort of run into him a little bit further on. Because uh, so I suspected this episode's already getting uh, to that time, eh? Yeah, we kind of need to just leave the Q stuff because there's a bunch of Q theories you could do. Yes, <laughs> there's time for them later. Uh, I could talk about justice, but we have a whole episode about that later this season. Yeah, we do. Yes. We have some very good episodes about justice. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. In the interest of this starting off our new season without things going into four or five hour episodes, I think it's time for the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Hey everybody, welcome back to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! I hope you are all still as beautiful as you were last time we met, uh, because you are really beautiful, folks. Anyway, we're going to get to uh, handing out surprises. The season might be new, the uh, the series might be new, but we can uh, definitely be uh, racking up, uh, you know, uh, uh, totaling up some points here. And uh, the first prize to uh, hand out for those points is the uh, Sufficiently Advanced Aliens Prize, which goes to Q, naturally, because he's just so beyond us, we can't aim him with this magic stuff he's doing. What does he win, Gepwin? Q wins a magic rune staff and a pointy hat. Like Q loves props. Q never does Merlin. Q should do Merlin. I think I'd like that. Uh... Oddly enough, there was a possibility he could have done it, but they uh, decided to go with Robin Hood later. Uh, so, anyway. <laughs> yeah, King Arthur would have been an interesting one on that episode. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Probably better, too. Anyway, uh, their second prize is the Mockery of Justice Prize, which goes to the course of the, post- of the post-atomic horror, because just japers, folks, this is a ridiculous situation here. And, uh, yeah, what do they win, Gepwin? The post-atomic horror courts win a reality TV contract because, like, as much as I don't love courtroom reality TV, I think it could be much improved with a bunch of angry peasants in the background yelling and screaming and laughing every time Judge Judy says something. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'd say that, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of uh, the uh, you know, the audience I know uh, of, of uh, folks and friends that uh, enjoy their Judge Judy who kind of do that as is. So just give them tickets, uh, and there we go. <laughs> Our third and final prize is the Psychic Hotline Prize, which goes to Troy for having her linking up with the giant aliens and their, you know, their whole emotions, you know, ha- you know happening uh, intensely to kind of move the plot along. What does she win, Gepwin? Troy wins a tinfoil hat. His, you could keep the. She's doing the the plan for Troy, which was to make her the cool kind of wise for her years figure that gives good advice and things but mm-hmm. they made her emote too much so just give her the hat blocks off the emotional thing she doesn't have to cry every time she does anything and then they can let her keep giving cool advice and stuff as a character without completely neutering her because they don't know what to do with her after she doesn't literally break down crying every time she feels someone else's emotions indeed uh you know uh, i do you think that there, in this episode, uh, her, her hairstyle might be uh, amplifying some of those emotions, but that's just a fan theory. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that's all I got to hand out this week, Gepwin. Uh, go on and uh, take us away. Yes, thanks to our new set of contestants for a new season. Thank you all for joining us on this, the galaxy's favorite game show. Woohoo! All right, next we got our first open remake. An open remake? A, a, a remake of, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the Infinite Vulcan? No, unfortunately, we don't get one of those. Drat. Foiled again. <laughs> there's there's several episodes that are definitely just sort of light redos of original series concepts. Something yes. that maybe they could do better, something they're recycling, etc., etc. This is literally the same episode. Yep. <laughs> Even the name is the same. The position in the series is the same. (laughs) Because episode two of original series was Naked Time, where everyone gets drunk on space water and acts weird. Yes. Like, it was a while ago. We weren't doing very good shows back then. I don't know if I'd recommend you listen to it. (laughs) 
But if you but if you want to see some vintage, uh, you know, Watchers of Tomorrow, uh, you know, for your ears there, uh, yeah, check it out and uh, then check us out next week. Yeah? But that's def- that's like the one where Sulu's doing sword fights in the corridor. You know, a lot of famous stuff. Mm-hmm. Doing the same thing. Yeah, there might be some sword fights in this one, but uh, they're off screen. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So next time, uh, the crew of the Enterprise is getting drunk in The Naked Now. <laughs> next time on Watchers of Tomorrow. Nudity in Star Trek. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principal, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs>